this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today over the last decade india has seen the emergence or reemergence of a number of infectious diseases not only have we seen an alarming surge in the number of dengue and chikungunya cases We've had Zika and Nipah virus cases and even an Ebola scare. This is in addition to existing diseases that we're still battling, such as tuberculosis, malaria, kala azar and others, and all while India battled the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two years. Some estimates indicate that about 60% of infectious diseases and 70% of emerging infections in humans are zoonotic in origin, with two-thirds originating in wildlife. India a tropical country that is still in many parts grappling with inadequate sanitation overcrowding and lack of adequate access to healthcare is also of late been subject to extreme climate events all of these as well as human encroachment into animal habitats and other factors could be playing a role in the emergence of infectious diseases in our country what do we know about why these infections come in spurts are there any vaccines for them and if not why not Is India particularly vulnerable to infectious diseases and what can the government do to prepare and strengthen our already over- overburdened healthcare system to speak to us about this and more we have with us today Dr Priscilla Rupali professor department of infectious diseases christian medical college bellur good morning dr priscilla rupali and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast good morning subeda it's a pleasure to be here Doctor India is grappling with three disease burdens at present communicable diseases that have been around for decades non-communicable diseases that are on the rise and the emergence of new pathogens that are stretching our already stretched health infrastructure just over the last decade there has been a rise in dengue and chikungunya cases we have seen cases of zika nipah and there was even an ebola scare are emerging or re-emerging infections a threat to our healthcare system Subeda that's a wonderful question as you know India is endemic to a number of infections like malaria strep typhus dengue and chikungunya which often cause acute outbreaks and typhoid as well which is one of the common causes of acute febrile illnesses in addition we also have a high burden of you know chronic diseases like hiv and tuberculosis stretching the healthcare system so definitely cases of zika nipah and ebola which are emerging or reemerging do place a huge threat on our already burdened healthcare system i think the reason that it does is uh, because the personnel need to be trained they need not just knowledge but a particular skill set to be able to manage these new diseases and uh, as you know zika though we've had a few cases being reported luckily we've not had the scares of microcephaly and the guillain-barre syndrome that it has been characterized within other places in the world So definitely I think we need to be worried about it uh, we do have the vector we have detected it in previous zero surveys travel is becoming increasingly common and of course we have a non immune population waiting to be infected similarly with nipah we it's not a new disease for us and uh, we've had outbreaks periodically over the years and it's likely that we may have one in the future and we've already seen with a respiratory pathogen already like covid-19 how uh, it has uh, definitely impacted our healthcare system during the second wave so it's a, a bit of a worry with regard to nipah whether it can do that 
Nippon, Ebola, I agree, we had a scare and uh, luckily we were able to put in systems in place with screening at international airports, identifying, you know, high-risk patients which are being, and labs which are being equipped to diagnose the same. So I think it has been a concern, uh, not just in the past, but recently this year itself. I know you must be aware of the outbreaks that have taken place in the Ivory Coast and Guinea. So I think key here is preparation and anticipation. And we do need an epidemic preparedness plan, which actually most countries do have. So I think it's uh, it's important for us to have epidemic preparedness plan and a committee which is composed of experts from all around the country, not just from a specific region. Uh, as well as, you know, it should have input from the local regulatory authorities, as well as the national regulatory authorities, all of whom can actually work together to put together systems in place. So yes, if we are unprepared, it will definitely overwhelm our healthcare system. Dr. Getting a little bit into why we are seeing these sort of infections, some estimates have indicated that about 60% of infectious diseases and 70% of emerging infections in humans are zoonotic in origin, with two-thirds originating in wildlife. There was a theory about COVID-19 also being related to this. Is human encroachment into animal habitats one reason for the number of new diseases we are seeing? And what are the other reasons? And what makes India in particular vulnerable to these infectious diseases? So I think human encroachment absolutely into animal habitats and in addition, urbanization, deforestation, all of these contribute to the emergence of zoonotic diseases. And of course, vector-borne diseases like malaria, dengue, chikungunya, and Japanese encephalitis. Apart from that, I think there are a number of factors which can contribute to the high incidence of infectious disease in India. So we are a tropical country. And uh, for us, a variety of factors like climate change, air and water pollution, water scarcity, land degradation, all of these are environmental factors which contribute to a high risk of infection. I know air pollution has been in the news uh, pretty recently with uh, uh, some states in India being affected by it quite severely. And uh, suffice it to say that definitely will lead to an increase in respiratory illnesses. Water scarcity is also something that we need to be worried about. Though the tropics in general have about, you know, 54% of the water renewable resources, renewable water resources, some areas in the country are vulnerable to this so-called water stress. There are a number of social factors as well that we need to take into account. Uh, for example, poverty, unemployment, overcrowding, all of which leads to very poor living conditions and un undernutrition. And this coupled with poor access to healthcare and governance often leads to a rise in the communicable as well as non-communicable diseases. Could you speak to us a little bit more about climate change, doctor? For instance, some experts said that this year's delayed monsoon withdrawal led to a high number of dengue cases because there was a lot of stagnant water around, which was helpful for mosquitoes to breed in. Are there other climatic factors? You also spoke about poverty and malnutrition. How, how do these factors contribute to an increase in infectious diseases? So let's talk about climate change first. And climate change obviously will lead to a change in the species habitats. It leads to a change in their distribution. And it does affect human health as well. It impacts agriculture. It raises the sea levels and leads to extreme weather events as well. Now, what do these extreme weather events do? They lead to increased rainfall. They increase the temperatures. And these factors will contribute an increase in the vector distribution. 
So apart from, you know, human encroachment into animal habitats, these climatic factors will lead to vector, increased vector distribution and shorter incubation period. And this causes an increased incidence of vector bone diseases. In addition, for example, in Tamil Nadu, coastal Tamil Nadu and Andhra Pradesh, we have having incessant rains. These incessant rains lead to not just flooding, which destroys crops, homes and livelihoods, but also leads to a variety of water-related diseases. So they're traditionally called waterborne when you're dealing with the quality of the water, which can you know, lead to various acute diarrheal diseases. Water washed where, you know, it's a quantity of the water that is a problem. So you're, uh, you're not able to maintain hygiene. Or water-related diseases, like you just mentioned, about how stagnant water can give rise to malaria and dengue, chikungunya, Japanese encephalitis, etc. In addition, during the times of floods, we also notice a rise in the incidence of leptospirosis, which is a disease where traditionally associated with rat urine. But during flooding, all the sanitation becomes a problem. The drains overflow and uh, humans end up uh, getting infected with, you know, leptospirosis as well as miliardosis, which are rampant when there are floods. So during the last time when Chennai was affected, there was an outbreak of miliarosis. Mumbai, I think, periodically has outbreaks of leptospirosis as well. So definitely these are the conditions uh, which play a role. Doctor, how much does genetic alterations in the pathogens themselves, how much of a role does that play for? Is that also responsible for outbreaks? So genetic Alterations may definitely play a role. I think uh, we've seen a good example with the Delta variant of COVID-19 producing a problem. So it depends on what the alteration is. Now, you could actually have an alteration where it protects the host, or you can have an alteration which actually causes increased transmission or severe disease in the host. Now, I think we can have two examples here. We're all aware of the Delta variant, which led to increased transmissibility among the Indian population. Uh, we can also have an example of the Zika. So if you remember sometime, of, I think it was in 2016, they had reported a few cases in Maharashtra. And uh, they found that they didn't really have the usual complications that we come across, you know, the Gyanbare or microcephaly, which are really the dreaded, dreaded complications that we see as a result of uh, Zika virus infections. They went on to follow up these pregnant women and they found that none of them ended up with problems like, you know, the children getting microcephaly or Guillain-Barre syndrome. So what was postulated was that probably there was a genetic alteration. The virus was less virulent in the, in the Indian population and which is why we did not really have the complications that were seen in other populations like Brazil, uh, etc. But does it also uh, go the other way around? Can they also become more infectious with genetic alterations? Absolutely, absolutely. So they can definitely become more infectious. I think a good example is the Delta variant. And in recent years, uh, we've also seen a lot of atypical presentation of diseases. For example, the usual colors are that we used to see. We've had a variety of atypical manifestations, which takes us a little bit of time to diagnose. It's not just the increased infectivity of the pathogen. Sometimes there's a host alteration also, which can, you know, contribute to, for example, the host being immunosuppressed, for example. They're on some medications which alter the way that the human host receives and deals with the infectious pathogen in the body. Doctor, you spoke to us a little bit about how we need an epidemic preparedness plan. India has an integrated disease surveillance program that aims to strengthen the disease surveillance system, especially for epidemic-prone diseases and to monitor trends in diseases. How are we doing on the surveillance front? Do we need to do more? 
So the IDSP or the Integrated Disease Surveillance Program, which was implemented or starting to be implemented in 2004 with the help of World Bank. In theory, it's actually an excellent concept where we have devised a surveillance system, put in measures in place to be able to pick up a trend of a disease that's emerging and possibly prevent epidemics. However, I think it's important to note the implementation is variable in different states. Some states are excellent at implementation. So, for example, Tamil Nadu and Kerala are really good at implementation, even Maharashtra to some extent. But there are other states which are lagging behind. So, it is definitely variable. And I'm seeing on the basis of some literature which is available where some states have actually reported their experience with the IDSP program. And they've performed cross-sectional studies to assess the knowledge and factors of and the quality of the health reports that are generated as a result of this. So I think in one particular article, they uh, the study researchers visited about 24 sub-centers and interviewed 46 healthcare workers. And what they really found is that only 30% could even expand what IDSP was. Only 9% knew kind of, you know, could trigger, could uh, narrate what trigger events are. And uh, only in about 50% of the cases, they, were they actually reporting in accordance with the definitions that have been described there. So in addition, I also feel that there are certain gaps there. So there is no way to assure quality control of the data that's being collected. So, you know, the data being collected in one place may be wonderful, whereas the data collected in another place may not be that great. So there is unfortunately no quality control system in place. And as I understand, there is no regular analysis. So which I think was the original premise with which the IDSP was generated. So that I think is a gap. But yes, at least we have a surveillance system in place. It does work in most places. So there are some wins on that front, but we definitely need to do more. If you look at, for example, just take the CDC, for example, CDC generates weekly report. They call this the morbidity mortality weekly reports. So we do have an outbreak reporting system. If you go to the IDSP website, you'll be able to see that there is an outbreak report, but there is no regular analysis syndromic wise of the data that is being collected. So we have a wealth of data that's being collected, but what we need is analysis. We need to identify gaps and then we need to set in measures in place uh, to take care of those gaps. I think that is what we need to do. Doctor, a lot of these diseases, while they may not be fatal, seem to cause high rates of hospitalization as well as many days out of work. So is morbidity a huge factor here? Are we losing out on productive days by adults and children when it comes to these infectious diseases? So morbidity is definitely an important thing. I think mortality is always in the news, but morbidity is a significant concern. And uh, if you notice this, even with COVID-19, during the second wave, we noticed that the death rate really was not as high uh, because we'd learned to control the disease. But there was significant morbidity and people were still having issues. They were off work. There was a lot of anxiety. There were people describing long COVID or rather uh, post-acute COVID sequelae. So definitely there is a important factor of morbidity that needs to take it, be taken into consideration. Uh, take any disease, whether it's HIV, whether it's TB, whether it is uh, dengue, chikungunya. I think all of these diseases lead to a significant amount of morbidity. I think if you all remember in 2006, there was a huge outbreak of chikungunya and we were deluged by patients who had a chronic arthritis for more than a year. So I think morbidity is a significant factor and if it's often not given much importance, but it's uh, definitely important to take into consideration by measuring 
whether you want to do quality adjusted life years or you know whatever it is so i think it's important to take that into consideration going back to your previous answer doctor you said we had a lot of data but not much analysis what what kind of analysis do we need for these emerging and re-emerging infections so i think for example i think we report on a daily basis or, or a weekly basis to the idsp for a certain number of diseases but we don't really have a weekly analysis on the website for example which tells us okay you know this state has an increased incidence of this problem or this district has an increased incidence of that problem so if we are able to kind of do an analysis with weekly trends of a particular syndrome i think we would be able to predict diseases especially new and emerging diseases doctor one of the issues with these infections is that we don't have uh, too much in the way of uh, treatment or vaccines we don't have a dengue vaccine for instance we don't have anything for chikungunya we don't have anything for a lot of diseases why is that why are these infections so hard to have vaccines for well dengue there is a vaccine emerging now in development yes in yes. development yes and it has been trialed and hopefully in the future we will see a vaccine coming our way but you're right in a way that you know these diseases have been around for more than 100 years and we really haven't made headway with regard to finding a way to prevent it eradicate it so you're absolutely right i think it is difficult sometimes you're you not only have to deal with a pathogen you also have to deal with a vector here so especially diseases like malaria dengue uh, chikungunya uh, we've had issues and it's been difficult because of the pathogen itself now dengue as you know has a variety of variants so they have four serotypes and uh, sometimes being infected with a previous serotype can give you a severe disease so all these factors need to be taken into consideration so for example if you give vaccine the worry always is that you will give it to a endemic population who always who have already an antibody level that may be high to a particular serotype depending on what they've been infected in and you can actually create an antibody dependent enhancement leading to a severe disease so all these were significant issues that were hypothetically preventing people from even you know trialing these diseases for a vaccine development but now i think we do have a variety of vaccines in fact some vaccines which work better in those who have pre-existing antibodies and the recent takeda vaccine where it doesn't matter whether you have antibodies or not so i think there is hope on the horizon with the development of new platforms of developing vaccines we may be able to overcome these traditional uh, problems that we face doctor you said emerging and re-emerging infections and that some of these infections are old in the sense that they have been around for decades but they come and go in spurts why is that that's a difficult question to answer so for example if you look at zika for example so the first time it was described was somewhere in the 1960s i think and at that point in time there was a worry and um, you know there were zero surveys done all over the world and we were able to demonstrate that it was definitely there in asia it was definitely there in other parts of africa parts of south america etc but we didn't really hear any much more about zika till recently and then there was an outbreak in south america and then came into prominence again now what are the reasons which could contribute to it and i think there are a variety of reasons i've already alluded to some of them earlier so what is increasing we 
we have this vector has been around for ages. So Zika has the Aedes uh, mosquito as a vector. And these vectors have been around for ages. We are unable to control these vectors, especially in the human uh, habitats. And uh, with the climate change, urbanization, deforestation, land degradation, all of these have actually increased the vector density. And obviously that is going to create problems with regard to vector-borne diseases. So I'm sure, you know, depending on the rainfall, depending on the climate change, periodically these there is seasonality of these uh, vector-borne diseases that happen. So these do contribute to that. Doctor, one final question. India's track record with eliminating diseases has been mixed. We have eliminated polio almost completely and we have greatly reduced cases of malaria, but we are still grappling with tuberculosis. And the goal to eliminate Kala Azar by 2017 was not met. How are we now equipped to cope with old and emerging diseases and what more do we need to do? So I think you're right that our track record has been mixed. We have eliminated polio. We may be able to eradicate measles in the near future. While we have not really reversed tuberculosis or malaria, we have made headway with regard to HIV. So we've kind of successfully halted the spread of HIV and AIDS and we're starting to see a, a reversing trends. So we've had some wins and we've had some losses, but I think we are increasingly learning how to deal with these diseases. And in the recent years, I think in the last decade, with regard to tuberculosis, I think so many new things have come up with regard to tuberculosis. We've invested in rapid diagnostic tests. We have, India has actually, uh, the National Tuberculosis Control Program has invested a lot of time and money and equipment and uh, in making labs, making them confident to be able to diagnose tuberculosis early. So whereas, whereas detection of drug-resistant TB or even ordinary TB, I think this is being looked at really carefully. So I'm quite confident, even though we may not achieve our, you know, our millennium development goal or sustainable development goal, I think we are well on the way towards achieving it. We may not achieve it by 2050, but we will definitely achieve it at some point in time. So we do have programs like IDSP, which just need to be strengthened. We need to analyze, we need to implement, find the gaps. We need to take measures to be able to correct these gaps. We definitely have the knowledge, we have the experts, we have the skill sets uh, who could definitely contribute to making uh, this a reality. Do you think every state needs an epidemic preparedness plan, doctor, since uh, there are such geographical variations across the country? So I totally agree with you. We do need an epidemic preparedness plan per state. We do have, I think, as you know, the National Epidemic Preparedness Cell was activated uh, at the onset of COVID-19. But I think every state needs to have a plan for, you know, the diseases that they see emerging in and around the world, and they need to have plans to be able to control it. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zubeda. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.